Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Well, uh, this week we celebrated the 36th birthday of the original Macintosh that came out in 1984. That's pretty incredible. Remember that ad, that Super Bowl ad of the 1984? No, These I guys don't marching that in. They came marching in. All the zombies came marching in. And then somebody came and crushed the screen that had a went Microsoft Windows PC on it, and there was a Macintosh in the back. I don't remember that ad. That, I'm, that I'm was a, to say. That was a dramatic ad. Uh, 747 Max may be getting airborne in a few months. That's kind of a nice thing to think. I'm going to talk about the teen hack of the week, AirPods for secret communication during class. <laughs> and and Bit, Bitcoin just made it big time. The Davos crowd has finally signed on to Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about it. I, somehow this week I got really interested in cleaning my computer. You know how keyboards get dirty and yes. screens. So I'm going to give you some of the I, some I, of the techniques that I use for cleaning the computer. I'm it, truly interested in this because the keyboard at work, I think people use it as a food trough. The it's key, awful. The keyboards are – and I've got this – product that looks like silly putty that that just pulls the stuff right off the keyboard it's amazing I gotta get this. I it is amazing this. that that's like the product of the week product of the decade that's right and th- th- today we're going to feature peter shore he is the man who invented well of course the shores algorithm many call many people of course call, the sh- I've, I've, of course everyone knows about exactly, the shores algorithm the shores algorithm and many people call him the father of um quantum computing mm-hmm. uh I might add, he was suggested by Bill of Maryland. Yes, one of who our gave fr- you an entire year yes, yes. of profiles in IT. I think you need to, um, I think you need to spiff him, yeah. put him on retainer. No, I, I, except we don't have a budget for that. <laughs> we don't have a budget at all. We don't, we don't have a budget at all, exactly. Uh-huh. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Doug in Baton Rouge. Dear Dr. Schertz and Jim, I understand about cookies that are placed on my computer when I'm visiting an online website, but what the heck are tags and pixels and SDKs yeah. and other forms of tracking software that websites can deposit as well? Please explain each and how invasive they are and how to detect them and how to block them. Every one of your radio shows are great and really enjoyable. Thanks, Doug in Baton Rouge. Well... Let's talk about it, Doug, because yes. I have to say, Stratford also uses many of these techniques, so I'm very familiar with them. So it all depends on the intent of the company, whether it's bad things happen. Mm-hmm. I'll explain how they work. Cookies. It's a simple text string that's loaded into the user's browser. So you, you, the website gives a command, and it transfers this text stream into the user's browser, and, it, uh, and, it, it has, uh, and it's identified as being owned by that website. 
then every time you go back to that particular website, it pulls in the cookie and it can tell what your previous selections were. For instance, the cookie could even store your password, your username, what you had done. And so cookies made uh, website usage more convenient for the user. That's why that was originally developed. It was invented back in 1994 by Netscape, and it, uh, and it gave websites memory. And they, for instance, they, the cookies were like if you were doing shopping frequently, your shopping cart would be contained in your cookie. So it, it just was a convenient way for uh, residual memory when you interact with a website. And there are many different kinds of cookies. There are analytic cookies, there are statistical cookies, marketing cookies, advertising cookies. I mean, eventually, cookies became used for many things other than their original purpose, as mm -hmm. you would expect. And so whenever anybody goes onto a website, uh, the website could deposit a cookie. So one, one use is that is done. You could, you could deposit a cookie in a browser, and then when you're visiting other websites – um, ad companies can read those cookies and they can say, oh, you were at that website, and they'll deliver an ad specifically about that website. Yep. Have you ever noticed you go and you look at a look at a new Lexus car or something? No, I would never do that. And then all of a sudden, everywhere you look, Lexus cars are advertised on every site you go to because they're pulling information from your browser that you were on the Lexus site looking at that. So cookies are used for advertising purposes in that case. Or something more embarrassing, like you're trying to buy new underwear. That's right. They could be. They and, could, and that shows up. So, you know, and so if like, unsavory ads show up uh, all the time, it could mean that you had visited an unsavory website. So you have to be mindful of where you go and what you do with your cookies. Now, what you can do, though, you can, if you want to get rid of the cookies, there's all, there's an option to clear your cookie cache. All, mm -hmm. the, all browsers have it. Go down to setup and you can... You can clear all the cookies out of the cache, and then they're they're gone, which is really good. But that means then, if you clear out all the cookies, when you go back to your, you know, most popular sites, it will forget your username and your password, and it will forget any configuration you've given it. You'll have to, it'll be like a new visitor. So, so you you have to give up that particular convenience if you want to get rid of all the cookies. Now, tracking pixels or pixel tags allow tracking without cookies. So, for instance, if, uh, some and, and these are like a one by one pixel. It's it's like a picture element. Pixel means picture element. A one by one picture element that's transparent, so it's invisible to the user, and they just embed this little tag, one by one tag, into a picture. And when you're so like, if suppose you're getting an email, a marketing email from some company, and you open up the email, and then you you know click on one of their links, and that will then download a picture which has one of these pixel tags in it, and then, boom, the company that sent you the email knows that you downloaded that particular picture, and they know that you're looking at that particular link, so they can track what you're doing with the email. So all these people that send you marketing emails, they know when you open the email, they know exactly what you do with the email, and, and they use these one-by-one -one pixels or pixel tags to 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 track that. And, and you, you can get these. These pixel tags could also be on a web page. Uh, and so you could track whenever you download a picture from a web page, and and they, and these uh, when these pixels are loaded, they enable the sender of the tracking pixel, typically an ad server, to read and record that the web page, what web page you've been on. So, for instance, on the Stratford site, when anybody visits our site, we know exactly what pages they visited. We can track them as they go through the site. 
Now, how that's useful is if they make an inquiry and they call somebody or send somebody, our admissions officers can look at their history on the website, and they'll know that they lingered on this page and that page, so they already know kind of what they're interested in, and it allows them to hone in the hone the conversation much more, much more effectively. Now, also, what websites do in terms of website analytics, uh, suppose you you have people going through your website, and all of a sudden they get to one page, and then they just leave. So maybe there's something wrong with that page. Maybe the link doesn't work or something. So you can look at bottlenecks in your website if you're trying to use website conversion for leads, you can actually use it to track progress throughout the website. Now, I think all of those are legitimate uh, uses for, for these things. Now, what is, uh, what is very obtrusive is when ad companies use these techniques, <clears throat> and then they start delivering ads to you all over the place, specifically based on where you've been. So they track you all around the site. They know where you've been, and they start delivering ads to you. And that can become very, very obtrusive because you don't know you don't know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. And this is this has been one of the big, big, big problems. Now, there's also another technique that's just interesting that you don't really have to use pixels. It's called uh, it's called browser fingerprinting. And so, you know, everybody thinks, okay, I'm, I'm really anonymous when I'm just going around the web. Nope. But it turns out your browser and your specific computer f- configuration have a particular fingerprint. Like you've got a user's particular operating system configuration. You've got their setup. You've got the screen size, the resolution, the color depth, the location, the time zone, the language, the fonts used, the browser plug-in details. They can even track dust on the lens of your built-in camera, Mm. which is unique to you. So it turns out that just using this fingerprint, your computer, they can identify 99% of the time who you are. Because if you've gone to a site, any site, maybe to order order something, and they've got your Lexus. Yeah, and they and they've got your fingerprint. They've got your browser fingerprint. And then you go to another website and you and you use a VPN and you think you're super anonymous. You've got the same browser foot uh, fingerprint, so they can say, hey, this is the guy that bought that Lexus. So actually, the idea of anonymity on the web is really not, not, that, not that effective. And so this browser fingerprint, they don't load any cookie on there. They just sort of track you, and you can configure. And, of course, all this information, this fingerprint information, your computer just readily gives up when anybody asks. You can configure it so that it doesn't give up that information, and then you can cloud your fingerprint. Now, they can. This, this unique fingerprint is really a way that they identify you. So people think they're anonymous on the web, and they really are, are not because they, they don't block everything. Oh, that was a great, a great email, Doug. Yep. And I'm sort of familiar with this stuff because we use this stuff at Stratford, but we— only use it in a very most ethical way. Of course. Because the, the thing is, it is useful for the user, useful for the company, as long as it's not abused. Right. And there are no, really, regulations over this. And so it's it's just the Wild West. The first regulations that came through to try to regulate this were in the, uh, were in the European Union, EU. Uh, they, they, they passed the Data Protection Act. And now they are beginning to restrict some of the some of these techniques for gathering data. And that's under the first attempt to try to regulate this wild west of data <laughs> gathering. 
We got an email from Kevin in Daytona, Florida. <clears throat> Hello, Dr. Shirts. I started noticing, I believe last Friday on the 17th, that podcast for Tech Talk started giving me the 401 error. That Uh-oh. means that means file not found. Yeah. For the MP3 files. I went all the way back to November and everything was a 404. Just wanted to let you know. I enjoy the show via podcast. Kevin in Dale Deltona. Deltona. Deltona, Florida. I've never heard of that before. I'm going to go check that out. I kept thinking Daytona, but it's Deltona. It's Deltona. Yeah. Deltona, Florida. So, Kevin, that was a great email. I'd really got, I sent this to our IT team. Uh, We recently changed website platforms. We went from uh, Drupal, which is an open source content management system, to WordPress, which is, which is used by many, many web websites around there and there are more wet wordpress developers than there are drupal developers so we just we wanted to increase the size of our developer pool and apparently when we switched over to the new platform some of the links to our podcast were broken i asked my development team to fix it boom in one day they fixed it and so you can now have happy podcast listening excellent deltona florida is inland it is uh north northeast of orlando Near Sanford, and uh, basically just off the coast from the Canaveral National Seashore. Oh, okay. So there you go. Very good. Thank you. We got an email from Barbie in Reston. Dear Doc and Jim, I recently attended the Bring It 2020. Bring It 2020. Bring that, it 2020. That's like a um, that that that's like an that's like an America's Got Talent, except it's it's more of a local version of it, and the audience could vote for the best act. Unfortunately, the page that showed the voting wouldn't open and it and it said i couldn't vote it said the opening wasn't open yet someone said i needed to clear my iphone browser cache and i don't have a clue what they meant mm-hmm. help barbie and reston okay let me explain what this browser cache is when you're surfing the web and you're looking at a web page your browser will store web pages that you view thinking that many times people go back to the same web pages so and they'll have a browser cache, and they'll just store maybe the last, you know, thousand web pages you looked at. And so you go back to one of those web pages. It's in your phone, and boom, it comes up really fast, even if you've got a slow internet connection. So this browser cache makes browsing a lot more convenient. Now, apparently what happened, you went to that website where you did the voting before the voting began. And then... They opened up the voting, and there was a new screen, and you went back there, and you saw the old screen. You were pulling it out of cash, so you couldn't vote. So, you, so you'd have to clear the cash, and this is a common problem. Usually, you don't have to do this because websites actually change very slowly. You know, people, they don't change that often, so normally this is not a problem. So you can just simply go to Settings, and then you go down to Safari. Safari is the, uh, the browser. I'm assuming you're using Safari on your iPhone. And then once you open up Safari, Safari, you just scroll down until you say Clear History and Website Data. And then tap it once to confirm. Oh, by the way, when you clear History and Website Data, you'll also be clearing all your cookies out. Ah. So then type it once Beware. to confirm it. Yeah, so uh, you can also, if you want, you can delete the Safari app and reinstall it, but that's just a lot more work. So that was a good question. Uh, the person who told you about the cache should have told you how to clear it. They just gave you a lot of angst and didn't help you solve the problem. <laughs> now, if you were on Bring It 2020, what would be your special talent, Doc? I, I don't know. I don't <laughs> Sorry know. to put you on the spot. Yeah, I don't know. That would be a tough one. That would be a th- I don't think it would be singing. 
Okay, well, we're not going to ask for demonstration here. <laughs> no, I don't think it would. Juggling? I'm pretty certain it would not be singing, no. Maybe doing physics experiments. That's it. There you go. That's it. You could it. do things that explode or ooze That's or... That's it. Like we, the volcano thing with the baking soda and the yeah, vinegar. Yeah, we would do something with lasers or some, some sort of laser holography or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I know what I would do. I would, I would be a 3D hologram on the stage... And then I could actually do it remotely, and nobody would know. Nobody know, would know the no, difference. Nobody would know the difference, yeah. Wow. Okay, we got an email from Jay in Fairfax. Glad Dear I Tech asked. Talk, I recently created a website using WordPress. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. how convenient is that? We just talked about WordPress. I love some of the plugins, but I've been reading that hackers are targeting WordPress sites. Is there anything I can do to protect myself? Love the show, Jay in Fairfax. Well, Jay, this is a very good question because – because actually WordPress is hacked a lot because there's so many WordPress sites out there. And you probably have several plugins installed to add extra features and functionality to your blog. That's what happens. Plugins come in there. You can get different looks, different features. I mean, it's really nice. You get these plugins. These WordPress plugins are really nice. They can add all kinds of useful, attractive bells and whistles to your blog and make it or your website and make it more enjoyable to use. But if you've been blogging or websiting for a long time, you probably have abandoned plugins that haven't been updated for some time, and they can serve as backdoors for hackers to break into. And that's what they do. The hackers look for plugins that haven't been updated with the latest security updates, and then they get into your system. That's why it's important, Jay, to either replace or simply remove any plugin that hasn't been updated for a long while. Luckily, Jay, there's a program called Word Fence Security Plugin. Word Fence Security Plugin. It makes it easy to stay informed about any outdated plugins that might be running on your blog. You really should be using Word Fence anyway because it does an exceptional job of locking hackers out of your blog. It'll also alert you via email when it detects one of your plugins hasn't been updated in over two years. In other words, Word Fence does the work for you. So you can concentrate on writing a great blog or website instead of having to keep an eagle eye on your plugins. Now, once you've installed WordFence plugin, it will alert you right away once all your plugins have been removed. Oh, it will then alert you if you have any plugins that have been removed from the WordPress plugin repository for any reason. See, this is what happens. Some of these plugins are taken over to the dark side, and they actually embed malicious code within the plugin mm -hmm. so that when you install that plugin in your website or blog, boom, they have access to it. So the WordPress plugin, plugin repository checks for any of that malware. And if any of these plugins have gone to the dark side, it kicks them out of the repository. So WordFence checks the repository to see whether any of your plugins have gone to the dark side. And if they have, it deletes them. It was a good email. Yeah. We got an email from Dutchie in North Carolina. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm hoping you can give me a recommendation for a good mouse. It doesn't cost too much. When I bought my first computer, they told me always to get a really good mouse. That's a very good question. I was also told that I need to stay away from cheap ones because they don't last very long. You end up spending more money in the long run. What's mm -hmm. your recommendation? Well, the, the advice used to be true that there was a huge difference between cheap mice and expensive mice. But I'm telling you, the, 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 the difference in quality between the cheap and the expensive ones has gone way down. All the mice quality has gone up in the years. Now, to tell you the truth, I have all Logitech mice. Whoops, hitting the cords over here. So excited about that. <laughs> 
I, I have, I've got all Logitech mice, and um, I really like these Logitech devices. I have, on my older one is an, is an M325 Logitech. Now, that's not available as a new mouse on Amazon, but it's still available from third-party vendors. It's only $14.99. And that M325 Logitech, I really like, I've, but I've had it quite a few years. I just bought an, uh, another mouse for a computer that we got a, about a year ago, and I've got the Logitech M510. Now, that's $22 from Amazon. So they're not, not, none of them are very expensive, and these just these these Logitech mice, they, they just work and work. And if hmm. you look at the reviews on Amazon, Everybody else says they work really well, and you get very positive reviews, and you and you get a good value for these Logitech mice. It's cheaper than sort of the brand name mice. We got an email from Doug in Kansas City. Dear Tech Talk, I'm planning to buy a new laptop. I need some help in selecting the computer that's right for me. I'm just simply a Microsoft Office user, an Internet surfer, not a gamer. What do you recommend? Uh, thanks, Doug in Kansas City. Well, Doug, I'll tell you what I do. I mean, there are so many computer options out there. Amazon has got really a great feature. They have best sellers list. So you can go to best sellers for laptops, best sellers for uh, for computers, best sellers for electronics, and they will list what are the best sellers in order from one through N. And you can simply go down through those best sellers and – then what I like to do is I'll look at the bestseller list on Amazon, and then you read the reviews, and you know I, you get them. You get the ones that have several thousand reviews. Don't don't get one that's got ten reviews because they're probably fake. But you get one with several thousand reviews, and read them, and you can see what's what's good or bad about it, and you can see what features you like. So I would suggest simply using the database, which is an Amazon, to make the selection because there's so many good computers. Mm-hmm. Listen, we love your emails. We do indeed. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. You know, we were talking about mice. Yes. I have uh, had a, ma- ma- a mouse uh-huh. that I didn't like. Uh-huh. It was a brown furry one. Oh, at yeah. Home. yeah. That's right. That's it's, not a good one. That's not a good one. We, no. I think we got rid of it. That's very good. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. You can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. And one of our uh, viewers just called us bra. We were called bra. Okay. And, uh, you know, we slugged this uh, (laughs) podcast with the station call letters, and I think this guy may be a little bit out of this morning. He thought the call letters were W-E-E-D. As in weed. <laughs> it's actually WFED. There you go. We'll be back in just a minute. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today I'm going to feature Peter William Shore. Peter, no, Peter Williston Shore. Ah. Peter Williston Shore. Whenever he got in trouble at home, his, his mom would call him Williston, yeah. Peter Shore is an American applied mathematician best known for his work on quantum computation, and in particular for devising the Shore's algorithm. I'm sure you're, I'm sure <laughs> you're going to tell us what that was. It's very complicated, but I'm, I, I have a YouTube link that it really explains it well because it's a little bit beyond the scope of Tech Talk in the few minutes that we have. Shore was born August 14, 1959, in New York City. He grew up in Washington, D.C., in the San Francisco Bay Area, while attending Tamalpais High School in Mill Valley, California. He placed third in the USA Mathematical Olympiad. He, he, was, he, showed he math. was a mathlete. He was a math guy, yeah. After graduating that year, he won the silver medal in the International Math Olympiad in Yugoslavia. The U.S. team achieved the most points per country that year. He received a bachelor in mathematics in 1981 for his undergraduate work at Caltech and where he was a Putnam Fellow. He earned his Ph.D. in applied mathematics from MIT in 1985. His thesis was on probabilistic analysis of bin-packing algorithms. How did he, in the world did he come up with that? I don't know, but um, <laughs> he was trying to figure out, uh, you know, the the you know opto- how to optimize this particular computational technique. Now, after graduating, he spent one year as a postdoc at UC Berkeley. Then he accepted in 1986 a position at AT&T Bell Labs. Now, for several years, he worked mainly on algorithms for conventional computers while also researching probability and combinatorics. 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 Yeah. The combining things, I would imagine. Combining things, yeah. Now in, Let's uh, look that up, shall yeah, you we? Can, you can check that. But uh-huh. I understand probabilities, and so he was... Uh, and so he was sort of interested in these general areas. So in 1994, he, after thinking about a particular problem for about a year, he discovered a factoring algorithm that could be implemented with quantum computers in 1994. Now that factoring algorithm that he invented became ultimately known as the Shores algorithm. Now, as soon as he invented this algorithm, he spent most of his time investigating quantum computing and quantum information theory. His algorithm was the first demonstration of the impact that quantum computers could have on real-life problems. Now, you see, the difficulty of factoring large numbers 
using conventional computers is the basis of some widely used methods for encryption of information on the Internet. You take a huge number, and you want to know what are two prime numbers that are factors. You multiply two prime numbers together to get a huge number. Okay, And then if you want to take that huge number and figure out what the two primes are, that's a very difficult problem to do. And so the longer the huge number is, the longer it takes to get the two prime factors. That prop, that particular feature, the difficulty of getting those two prime factors is what most of the encryption on the Internet is based on. Mm -hmm. So if you could figure a way to quickly get the two prime factors of a big number, Internet security would just go down the toilet. And so uh, what they do is they just get a big enough number that it would take, you know, 200 years with conventional computers to get the two prime factors. So they, they say, okay, that's probably secure enough because people aren't going to really worry about it. Now, and it turns out, you know, the, you know, using conventional computers, these problems were intractable uh, and they would take forever to, to do the calculations. So the internet was secure. However, with the possibility of using a quantum computer to factor these large numbers was not appreciated until 1994. And it turned out that this quantum computer application to this problem would completely change the dynamic of what's going on. So after Shore published his algorithm uh, to use quantum computers, the race was on to make a huge quantum computer. Now, they really don't have the quantum computers don't have, don't have the stability yet to really do it. So they've actually okay they they successfully factored the number fifteen into three times five. Okay, that's that's not a very big um, big no, problem. No, it's not. No, so they and so they and so they I I think they they've got relatively small numbers that but they've proved the principle that quantum computing can actually factor these numbers into two prime factors. Um, now, the problem is if, if you want to get a huge number, the quantum computer has to be very stable and, it, and, you, can't ha and you can't lose uh, quantum entanglement as you are going through this thing and, it becomes, and the stability issues become the issue. Now, basically, what he did, he transformed the problem in a way that he was able to make the hard part of the calculation what they call a Fourier transform. And uh, a Fourier transform is you basically take a, an arbitrary waveform and you decompose it into all the waveforms, uh, the pure frequency waveforms, uh, you know, that, that, that make it up. And so to, to calculate all these pure fre frequency waveforms, use a Fourier transform. And what he did, he figured out a way that when you did the Fourier transform, there was only one frequency left. So there was one answer left a coefficient of one frequency, and that one frequency was the key element to calculate the two prime factors. And to do this Fourier transform with conventional computers would take a long time. Just It would just be as long as a guessing it. I mean, you know, the way you approach two prime numbers, you, you guess a number, and if it's not right, then you guess another number. Mm -hmm. There's so many numbers to guess that it takes forever to do that. And you'd have the same problem if you do a Fourier transform on a huge number on, on a very complicated waveform with a conventional computer. With quantum computing, boom, you can do it very quickly. Now, this is a fair, this transformation is pretty complicated, and I, I think it's beyond the scope of Tech Talk 
yes. today. Yes. But I found a YouTube video that really explains it extremely. It's 27 minutes. And I'm going to put a link to that YouTube video in there. It is the best ex, ex, explanation of Shor's algorithm that I've seen. And the guy just explains it in non-technical terms. And he shows you exactly how it's done. I think it was a, it was a tremendous presentation. Cool. Now, Shor's received many honors for his work. He got the... Um, not from 1998, the International Congress of Mathematicians Award. He got the Navanlina Award in um, in 1997. In 1998, he got the International Quantum Communication Award. In 2017, he received the ICTM Dirac Medal. ICT, what in the world is that? ICTM. Well, well, Dirac is 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 a guy who actually was one of the founders of quantum mechanics. Okay, okay? and so and this. Uh, what ICTM stands for the International Center for Theoretical Physics. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. It, it's sort of like it's sort of like the Football Hall of Fame, you see. But for mathletes. But for mathletes. That's right. <laughs> for mathletes. You like that? <laughs> I do like that. Very clever. <laughs> Thank you so in, much. In in 2019, he was elected as ACM fellow for his work on quantum computing. So uh, Peter William Shore is a very insightful mathematician who worked in quantum computing. Many people call him the father of quantum, com of quantum computing because he was able to derive the first practical algorithms that could solve a real problem using the superposition principles which are available in quantum computing. So there you go. Everything you needed to know about William oh, Peter Williston Shore, the man who invented Shore's algorithm. Get it right. Combinatorics is an area of mathematics primarily concerned with counting, both as a means and an end in obtaining results and certain properties of finite structures. It is closely related, related to many areas of mathematics and has many applications ranging from logic to statistical physics, from evolutionary biology to computer science. So there you go, combinatorics. There you go. Thank you, you very much. may be quizzed on that later. Yes, very good. Excellent. It is, it is Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio Heard on Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and on the web at 104.5, rather uh, in Loudoun County, 104.5 FM. We're on the web at stratford.edu, and you can learn more about uh, this program and watch us do it by downloading the Periscope app to your device, following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity.
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. From Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please, please sit down. They I know, I know that you are very excited about this whole featuring of quantum computing. I, I'm surprised they all stayed awake for it. This is a quantum computing crowd. I can it see is. that. I can see that. Pi R square. I can see that. Now, early in the show, I talked about Peter Shore. He, of course, developed the uh, Shore's algorithm, which has the potential, when using quantum computers, to break the encryption on the internet. So that we cannot even have secure communication. Okay. Now, where was Peter Shore working when he developed Shore's algorithm? That's a very good question, and we hope you have the answer. And Mr. Big Voice is now entering the room to tell us the following. If you know the answer to today's question, please don't leave us swimming. Pick up your phone. Give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rocky, it's 877-936-9333. If you're calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're an aspiring mathlete in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else can count on the international line, 877-936-39333. Now... Once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Mr. Big Voice would also like to add a disclaimer that he is a he is means no disrespect to any Canadians listening to the <laughs> okay, show. Okay, that's very because nice. Because we were called out last week, were we not? Yes, we were. But it was, he was. It, it was a very friendly, friendly call out. Listen, do you know Peter Shore also wrote poetry? No, I didn't know that, but I'm yeah. sure you're about to tell us I, all about that. I, no, I, I read quite a few of his poems. He, he, he liked to read you know, some science fiction, and he wrote poems regarding that. But he wrote one poem on quantum computing. And this I know our listeners would like to know, the quantum computing limerick composed by Peter Shore. And now it's time for Poetry Corner. Yes. With Dr. Richard Schertz. If computers that you build are quantum, then spies of all factions will want them. (laughs) Our codes will all fail, and they'll read our email Till we crypto that's quantum and dotum. <laughs> so there you go. You know, a quantum computing limerick by Peter Ashore. I think that should have been the question today. <laughs> but um, yeah. There we go. We don't have any players yet. So why don't you ask the question once again? Okay. Of course, Peter Shore invented Shore's algorithm, uh, which is a way to break the uh, internet encryption methods by factoring a large number into two prime numbers. Uh, where was he working when he invented Shor's algorithm? Oh, and le- I've got I've got a question. <laughs> Maybe somebody will get this. After graduating from high school, he won a silver medal at this competition. 
Okay. You like that All idea? All right, that, that would be a good one. And let's give him the number again. 877-9-3639-333. That, of course, the international line. So here's the thing. Let me talk about, I got into cleaning my computer this week. You know, I, I got into this this little, I thought I've got to clean the keyboard of this computer. Yes. And so that brought me to the product of the week. It's a Color Coral Universal Keyboard Cleansing Gel. Mm-hmm. And you can you can uh, you can just Google this Color Coral Universal Keyboard Cleansing Gel. It comes in a jar, and you take it out of the jar, and it looks like silly putty, and it's sticky, and it smells like lemon. And you push this down into the keyboard, and it pulls up all the loose stuff. And um, I've got a picture there for you, Jim. You can yes. see how it's doing it, and and you, I, and you just sort of roll it across the keyboard, and that allows you to pick up all but, this stuff without. Without uh, your picture you know. really doesn't do it any uh, justice because the stuff is yellow and I've just called up the uh, here, here's the thing it's because when you made the show copies you used the black and white option instead of the color option it's because that's the only option we in have. the original in the original PDF it is a, uh, a color picture it's yellow what you're hearing in the background is the video that shows you how to use this goo. <laughs> Oh my gosh! It's this is this is great. I need to get this. this Somebody's stuff, now mashing it into the keyboard. Yeah, and, and it pulls it right out. See, because you, you yeah. don't. <laughs> I listen. I, I I made that the product of the week because I was super happy with that with with this stuff. You, now it's this is the product of of the decade. And the thing is, it's got a pleasant lemon scent gel. So after <laughs> you finished with it, your laptop instead of stinking like spilled coffee and. And, and who you know, knows what and else? And who knows what else? It has this fresh lemon smell to it. Now, the only problem is, in the video, they're doing this on a clean computer. And so it doesn't really it doesn't really translate, but it's... It man, works. It, it works. It got really high, high reviews. You need to... We need to put this in for the... Before we do Christmas next year, this is a stocking stuff. Yeah, that would be... That's a good one. Now, now some people, if you, if you don't want to use the Silly Putty, you can always use compressed gas duster... And there's mm-hmm. a great one called Falcon Dust Off Electronics Compressed Gas Duster. It's a great way you just spray gas all over your keyboard and blow the stuff out. But I think this silly putty is just more elegant. Now, can you can you wash this stuff off and then put it back, or is it is it a single use goo? No, you just you you just you just sort of make another ball. You roll and it you, up, you put it back you, in the jar, and, and you just keep using it again. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if see some of these things you can actually wash it. Off and watch but, but the see, it, crud it's, off of it's it. like silly putty. So you, yeah. you just sort of put the outside on the inside, and you got a new outside, and you just keep. You just keep. <laughs> but at some point, you got to run out of inside for at, outside. At some Does point. that make any sense? I don't know. I don't. I don't think. I don't know if you can wash it, but uh, anyway, that is the product of the week. Now, th- now, there's a second product of the week. Yes. Because on your computer, you also have a computer screen. The two things you got to clean. You got to clean the screen if, and the if, keyboard. If you have a real computer, yes, you have a computer. Well, screen. even if you have a, an iPad, you, you need to clean the screen. And so what you want to use is this microfiber cleaning cloth, you know. And so there's mm-hmm. this magic fiber microfiber cleaning cloth, and you can get about 30 pads for 20 bucks. You know, it's about, you know, a dollar a pad, 70 cents a pan. Mm-hmm. This is a high-quality cloth, and it will take away any dust, dirt, oil, fingerprint smudges. And each of these bag, each of these cloths has its very own uh, little bag, so you you can you can you know keep them keep them all nice and clean in their little bag. Now these things also work. Well, they'll work on any screen, so you can clean. And I use these microfiber cloths for cleaning my glasses. 
That's a good idea because you know people use all kinds of crazy things to clean their glasses, yeah. and there and there are coatings on glasses and now. And if you yeah, use the wrong stuff, it breaks it down. I mean, if you use a paper towel, if you use if you it. use a, a you know a dish dust a dish rag or something, I mean, you it, can't use Windex. Windex will break yeah, down. Yeah, it's coatings. not good. And so you, you need a microfiber cleaning cloth. And so I use these microfiber cleaning cloths for my glasses. So I just wanted to talk about cleaning the computer. We've got the uh, Color Coral Universal Keyboard Cleaning Gel. Combined with the microfiber cleaning cloths, boom, you're going to have a clean computer. You know, this came up before the show because I was in here. I tidy up before we do the show every uh -huh. day and every Saturday. And I was cleaning off my iPhone. So I, I use these. They have these eco-friendly, you know, wipes. Yes. So I clean off the countertops, and then I wipe down my iPad and my and my cell phone that we do the, the mm -hmm. Periscope broadcast on. And Andrew says... Oh, you're one of those people who do that. and Or something to that effect. Andrew's looking at me through the glass like I'm nuts. But I said, yeah, well, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, what are you going to use? But maybe, now we should we know. Use, maybe we should use this, this silly putty gel on the, on the, on the keyboards here. I at, think I'm going to order this stuff, yeah. and we're, okay. going to, we're going to do show and tell. Right on the show. On and the that, show. And that way you can clean the key because you don't know what's been going on with these keyboards. Oh, I, I think I do, and I don't <laughs> want to think about it. Um, Okay, so l l let's ask our questions again. We still don't have a winner. You ask yours, I'll ask mine. Okay, Peter Shore, of course, invented the Shore's algorithm for uh, actually solving the encryption problem. He comes up with the two prime factors of a large number, and he uses that using quantum computing. Where was he working when he invented Shore's algorithm? My question is, after he graduated from high school, he won a silver medal in this um, mathematical competition. So those are the answers. Here's the phone number. 877-936-9333. It is Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1039 FM HD 2, 1035 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County, 104.5 FM. Watch us do the program by following us on uh, the uh, Periscope app at WFED Tech Talk. We'll be back in just a minute. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. 
Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. It, and uh, we're going to play the quiz now because we do have somebody who we think has the if answer. You know the Wait answer a minute, that's not the wrong. Question. We need the, what I call the match game vamp. Yes. There we oh, go. Oh, there oh, we go. That's great, there isn't it? we go. Now All right, let's go to line one. Here is Ken who is calling us. Ken, good morning. How are you, sir? Ken, you there? Hello, Ken. Hmm, why are we not hearing Ken? That's very odd. Let's try this a different one. Let's put him back on hold. We'll try a different line there. Ken, can you hear us, Ken? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, there oh, we go. Oh, perfect. Oh, boy, you had a scare. Earlier in the show, talked about Peter Shore, who invented Shore's algorithm. Where was he working when he invented that algorithm? Uh, Bell Laboratories. Correct. There you go. Very good. We have a winner. Ken, thank you very much for bailing us out there. We're going to put you back on hold and send you back to Andrew, and he will take your information, and we will send the prize right out to you. Now, Doc, we may continue on with the show. Let's go back on memory lane. Macintosh is 36 years old. On January 24th, 1984, Steve Jobs introduced the first Macintosh at Apple's annual shareholders meeting at Cupertino, California. Mm -hmm. He debuted the new computer. It had a 9-inch black and white display. It had an 8 megahertz Motorola 68000 processor, 128 kilobytes of RAM, a 3.5-inch floppy drive. (laughs) They didn't even have a hard drive. Right. And it only cost... $24.95, $2495. Yeah, now that would be in today's dollars about $6,000 if, you know, given because of inflation. The now iconic machine weighed 17 pounds. Wow. And was advertised as a word processing program, a graphics package, and a mouse. At the time it was introduced, Macintosh was seen as Apple's last chance to overcome IBM's domination of the personal computer market and remain a major player in the personal computer industry. So Steve Jobs pulled the Macintosh out of the bag at the event, powered it on, and the Mac had a little message for everybody in attendance. And Well, here's the message from the Mac. Okay, here's the message. Hello, I'm Macintosh. It is sure great to get out of that bag. Unaccustomed as I am to public speaking, I'd like to share with you a maxim. I thought of for the first time that I met an IBM mainframe. Never trust a computer you can't lift. (laughs) Obviously, I can talk, but right now I'd like to sit back and just listen. So it is with great pride that I introduce the man who's been like a father to me, Steve Jobs. In, in that exact voice, right? In that, yeah, that exact voice. Mm. Now, despite the high price at the time, that was equivalent to 6000 a day, as I already said, the Macintosh sold well, and Apple sold 70,000 units by May of 1984. The now iconic Super Bowl ad that Apple ran and invested in and debuted a few days before Macintosh was unveiled may have helped bolster those sales. Do you remember that? Uh, I don't, but we, we looked it up. Let's, should okay. we play it now? Yes, yeah, let's just play that now. Today we celebrate the first glorious anniversary of the information. Guys are marching through a tube like zombies. Got a bunch of zombies marching into an auditorium. Right. Hypnotized by the evil 
demon, IBM, <laughs> trying to control their minds to only go one way. And there's some very strange video playing. And a woman who's running into the, the auditorium is carrying a large sledgehammer. Yes. She is going to break the spell. Now she's vaulting down the aisle. Yes. Dressed in running garb. This is it. It's the, the climax is almost coming here. She swings around. She throws she lets it like a hammer toss. Yeah. She throws it at the mesmerizing screen. It explodes. January 24. Bright white Apple light. Apple computer will introduce Macintosh. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. Wow. There you go. That was an iconic ad. So you can, you can look up the 1984 Super Bowl ad. It was a fantastic ad. And um, Steve Jobs liked the ad. His board of trustees was was really not in favor of it, and he overrode them and well, did it company, anyway. Right? It was his company, so to speak, but he was, you know, was publicly right. traded. And he ran it, and uh, the rest is history. Now, after the Macintosh, Apple introduced the Macintosh 2, the Macintosh Classic, the PowerBook, the Power Mac, the iMac, the iBook, and eventually led to the current Mac lineup, which is the MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, iMac, Mac Pro, Mac Mini, and Mac Pro. So they have they really kept the name Macintosh all the way through. And, of course, they chose Macintosh because Macintosh is a type of Apple. Exactly. And it is Apple Computer. Now, today, Apple's one of the leading PC vendors in the world. They ship an estimated 18 million Macs worldwide. They shipped 18 million Macs worldwide in 2019. And Apple's competitor, IBM, is no longer in the personal computer business. Mm. They sold the technology to, to Lenovo back in the 2000s. There you go. Let's take a break, Doc. Okay. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. Heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now, the U.S. could approve the Boeing 737 MAX before mid-year. Hmm. U.S. air safety regulators could clear the Boeing 737 MAX to return to service 
uh, according to someone close to the process who chose to remain anonymous. The plane has been grounded since March of last year after two deadly crashes. On Tuesday, Boeing announced it did not expect to win regulatory approval until mid-2020. An FAA spokesman reiterated the agency has set no time frame for certification, but indicates the process is moving forward from December. And this is the exact quote from the FAA. While the FAA continues to follow through and deliberate, uh, to follow through, to, to follow a thorough, deliberate process, the agency is pleased with Boeing's progress in recent weeks toward achieving key milestones, the FAA spokesman said. Now, what is particularly interesting here, Boeing fired the CEO yeah, who was treating the FAA like scum, and he was not cooperative, he was arrogant, and he was just totally teeing off everybody in the FAA. And Boeing just got rid of that guy. The new CEO came in. He said his goal is to work with the FAA as a team and put the safest aircraft up they could. And so he's just—he's he's an open book. And FAA is obviously responding to the change in attitude with the new CEO. In December, FAA publicly castigated Boeing for targeting an unrealistic return to service time frame that seemed designed to force FAA into taking quicker action. This was a time frame put out by the former CEO who was trying to run roughshod over the FAA. Calhoun, who became a CEO early this month, has highlighted that restoring Boeing's reputation with regulators, customers, other stakeholders is as imperative as he tries to turn the company around. So that's actually good news for Boeing. I hope I want Boeing to make it. Yeah, now, that could that could have been a devastating uh, uh, for the company it if could, they couldn't get that. It could have been. And when you look at all the emails, they the people in the company knew that plane had dangerous design flaws, mm-hmm. and they didn't do anything about it. Does your domain have registry lock? If you're running an online business and you got a website, nothing could be worse than somebody stealing your domain name and putting whatever they want on it. So, for instance, on December 23rd, 2019, unknown hackers began contacting customer support people at Open Provider, a popular domain name registry in the Netherlands, and and they managed to steal the domain name eHawk, and it took these guys a while to get it back. I'm going to finish this story next week because there's a lot of interesting stuff. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And make certain go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu. Check out our programs in health science, nursing, computers, cybersecurity, business, accounting, um, culinary arts, hospitality. And tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.